0: and you're listening to
1: Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin Magedigan-Dumas.
0: We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport.
1: We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world.
2: And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track.
0: In this episode, we interview world and Olympic medalist Emma Coburn. We ask Emma her thoughts on the new Diamond League schedule and the removal of the steeplechase, among other events from the program. We talk about her training group of boss ladies and how they vibe so well together. Emma tells us how her husband and coach, Joe Bossard, has helped her approach the sport with a healthier balance of ambition and enjoyment. And we talk about social media, balancing in-season work and off-season fun, her role models, and her hometown of Crested Butte, where she holds a road race in the fall. Hi guys,
1: welcome to this week's Keeping Track. We really appreciate all the great feedback you guys have been giving us and the ratings on iTunes and other places. Glad you've enjoyed the Nia Ali interview and the um, New York Times uh, interview journalist, uh, Lindsay Krause. So we're looking forward to sharing our interview with Emma Coburn today. And before that, I just wanna check in with Alicia and Molly. Alicia,
2: where are you today? Today I am in Berkeley, California. Um, i got a ton of stuff that um, I get to complete um, now that I've dropped one of my many, like, jobs. (laughs) So I'm working on still the final stages of my book. I know you guys heard that last time, but it's still apparently final stages are final stages for a long time until it's final. So (laughs) some things I have to finish up, but literally I'm, like, the closest I've seen it and I can, like, see the light. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm but-
0: excited for your book too. Um, mm-hmm. I am down in Phoenix, Arizona. We just got here about four days ago, starting my 2020 marathon build up, which I can't believe is here. Um, the Olympic Trials are the end of February, February 29th. So all the marathoners are basically starting that now. So that's what i what I've got going on. Um, yeah. That'll be my focus for the next couple months. So you're back on the, into yeah. the grind, during mm-hmm. the build up there.
1: So awesome. yeah, we had a great interview with Emma, and we uh, actually re-recorded a little piece with her after the we originally recorded our interview, and um, just to catch up on some IAA, IAAF stuff. So we're gonna go right to that right now. And yeah, thank you guys.
0: So Emma, we have you back actually because since we last talked to you. Um, the IAAF had made the decision to restructure the Diamond League and has removed quite a few events, one of them being steeplechase. Um, well, I, we wanted to get your opinion on that because it happened after we talked to you and we think this is important. So so what, what are your thoughts on that as a marketing strategy, as a steeplechaser, and as, quite honestly, one of the stars of the steeplechase and of the Diamond League? I was upset when I found out
3: the steeplechase wasn't going to be part of the diamond league circuit I had heard there were rumors that events would be cut and that the steeplechase would potentially be one of them but I never thought that would happen I thought that was you know just a rumor and I got no inclination from any of the meet directors or anyone at the IAAF that I that I closely work with and am you know friendly with at all these meets I got no indication from them that the steeplechase was going to be axed um you know, I was continually asked for media requests outside of my um meet contracts with meet directors. I was asked for media requests from um the IAAF and the Diamond League while I was at all of these meets, so they clearly like, and doing those for free just out of you know wanting to promote the Diamond League. So they clearly think I have value to them, but they don't think the steeplechase has value or that I have enough value. Um, and it, it's not about me, but it's it's disappointing to know that they're taking social media click-through. And they're gonna completely change the the nature of track and field and change the events and especially events like the discus triple jump and steeplechase, where there's such specific skill sets required to excel in that event. We can't necessarily translate those skills to other events. A discus, a discus thrower can't just go and be a javelin thrower. So um, it's really crippling those events. And I think it's going to cripple the growth of those events. And um, it's disappointing for sure.
0: Yeah. And and they were saying how um, there will be other meets non-diamond league that have those uh events but that still has a trickle down effect of like sponsors being disappointed that you won't be on the diamond league coverage if that's going to be promoted a lot and so it, it will you're right it'll damage the event um in other ways if sponsors pull back from the athletes and things like that
2: yeah can you tell us yeah, more of so
3: the greater I'm effect lucky. yeah i'm lucky because i have a sponsor that you know they don't they value me A multi, you know, multifaceted version of myself, not just me performing at diamond leagues, but a lot of the opponents that I race, um, that are from other countries, they purely live off their diamond league prize money and their shoe contracts aren't enough to live on or support themselves. And so, um, the IAAF says that they'll provide, you know, a different series of races, uh, that will have prize money and exposure, And we don't know details yet about that. They're calling it the Continental Tour, but it's just the little brother of the Diamond League and to be kicked out of the big stage because you're not popular is a little (laughs) insulting. Um, And I think it's just, it'll be interesting to see what the Continental Tour shapes up to be if they deliver on the prize money um, that they say, but it's also appearance fees that you know, the top athletes are getting that will be hard to match elsewhere. Um, and then it's also just, it makes me less excited to work with the IAAF absolutely. and compete in IAAF races when they know they just truly don't value the event that I've spent the last 12 years yeah. of my life, absolutely, uh, you know, uh, participating in. And
2: you, Yeah, you've... not even just like your event, but just like they don't value the athletes. This whole thing about 90 minutes of TV coverage is not valuing... The athletes and the sport in itself, it's, it's, it is valuing their bottom line in their pocket, which ultimately is but what it will be the downfall of, of, the but sport.
3: I don't even blame them for valuing the bottom line because it is a business. But what I blame, what, where I get upset is when they say the solution for making track more exciting is by having less events. The solution for cutting a TV window from two hours to 90 minutes is cutting events when actually the solution is um, a better production, less time in between mm. events, less replay minutes. Mm-hmm. And also who says that, who says that two hours of sport is boring? You know, mm-hmm. I sit on the couch every Sunday and watch like six hours of football and I find it very exciting.
0: So Yeah, I, I think it's a lack of creativity on their part to basically, um, instead of trying to g- grow the fellowship of the weaker events, they just cut them off. I think that's not, mm-hmm. um, I'm surprised They're a little out of touch that they did that. I'm surprised that that was the perspective they ended up taking
1: yeah and also just like the you know that they take that one metric that you kind of quoted there about the social media click videos or whatever that that's what they're basing this on is that is what isn't that how they've communicated it like
3: they based it on a they based it on a few different things and and the social media click throughs was one and then post event surveys was another um and there were a few other so they i appreciate appreciate that the diamond league said what they did to study what events were least popular but it upsets me that they even use that as a solution for the problem of Mm -hmm. their feeling like it's a boring broadcast like it's not i saw a great tweet that was like has have you ever thought that maybe the social media click throughs the social media content is boring because you're putting out boring content. So people are clicking through it differently, depending on what content you're putting out, um, from, from the meat perspective. But yeah, it just feels like the five event areas that were cut, these, the athletes, you know, the, the, the eight to 15 athletes per event area that are competing every diamond league in this are obviously crippled a little bit now, but yeah. mm-hmm. also the, 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 the dozen up and coming athletes that would hope to compete at that level, um, are now less, less incentivized or have less opportunity. um, and it just feels a little bit insulting that we're just the little brother of the the popular kids. And, you know, if I, if the shoe was on the other foot, that the steeple, the steeple was one of the events and, um, the 1500 was cut, I like I would be just as annoyed because I just don't think it's a fair I don't think it's a fair way to yeah to try and improve the sport and grow the sport at cutting events
1: yeah and you've um, on that like have you other ideas on you know things that you think the idea IAAF should do or could be doing or you know I know there's you know whole skill set on like marketing and stuff that people would experts in this area that could probably really help track and field that way but just wondering you yourself do you have any sense of things that they're not doing
3: that you feel like this could be an easy way to boost this Um, I honestly just think the broadcast needs to be tighter and when I'm at a track meet participating as an athlete I think it's bizarre that 10 from the end of the men's 800 to the start of my race I don't think that needs to be there or 15 minutes you know I think you have Eight people that need to wheel out four barriers and then we're ready. Yeah. Um and if you want like if the Super Bowl can do a halftime show and set up and break down of a, a stage of the Super Bowl mm-hmm. during one commercial break, like mm-hmm. it's people steeplech- Yeah. in three minutes. So yeah, absolutely. that that to me is super simple of just making a better schedule and making a better meet schedule Mm -hmm. um but then also i do think there's confusion for fans of um of like okay the women's steeples at oslo this year the men are in rome i i think it in a perfect world i think there should be five or six all-star diamond league meets that have all the events over two days and it's the best of the best
1: Mm
3: mm-hmm Yeah and we know everyone competes at these at these meets. Um and I think it's just a little sometimes confusing for fans to say oh the Brussels Diamond League is on but oh I want to watch the 200 but oh Noah's not, oh the men's 200 isn't here. I wanted to watch Noah run but it's not here. So mm-hmm. I think I think there's just a little bit of um like that side of it could be improved too, but the simplest is just like yeah. write a better schedule and that's that's true not just for the Diamond League. I think it's true for um, you know, at the U.S. Championships, that at a lot of televised meets, I think there's too much, too much time in between events. Yeah. Um, and even, even at like a high school track beat, there's too much time in between events. It's just a yeah. a weird side effect that our sport has grown from the you know grassroots all the way up to the high, highest levels. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I am wondering, is there any kind of a sense of a movement or athletes having a voice in these big decisions made by the IAAF, or do athletes not get to do that? They get to. Come- have a seat at the Um, table there.
3: Yeah. So there's, um, an athlete's advisory committee with the IAAF and, um, it's, it's called like, um, the IAAF council or something. Um, and they, those athletes get to go to Monaco and meet with the IAAF and have meetings and voice athlete opinions and concerns. And there was just an election for that. Um, when we were in Doha and I think the there's really great vocal athletes on that committee. Um, and so I'm looking forward to hearing what, what those discussions are. And then, um, you know, hopefully having USATF and the AAC in the U S really, which the AAC in the U S has already put out a letter of, of, you know, frustration about this. And Christian Taylor has started, um, trying to get an organization off the ground of, um, athletes coming together. And so I do think there are voices of athletes that are frustrated and speaking out. And I just am not super confident that those voices are going to be heard. I feel Mm -hmm. like the IAAF is being a little bit, I think they're sticking to their guns on this one. So, Mm -hmm. so it's frustrating and I'll talk about it and express my frustrations, but I don't, I don't foresee anything changing, unfortunately, but I'll
2: continue talking about it. (laughs) So, but besides talking about it, what else do you think can happen from like an actionary standpoint or something that you, yeah, is there any ideas of, you know, proposals that you would like to put in place besides just, you know, reinstating the events? Like you said, if you don't have hope that they're going to actually do it, what would be another solution? What would be something else? that the athletes can unify on because it is true. The athletes do need to unify and collective voices are one thing, but also collective action is another.
3: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's taking personally, it's just taking a really hard look at saying, do I even want to compete in any IAAF meets besides the world championship? Um, Like, do I want to give them my support, my, um, social media, my energy, um, your talents. So yeah, like I don't, <laughs> I don't, that that's a personal choice that I think each athlete and needs to think about. Um, and I'm still kind of wrestling with how I feel on that, but I do think that's an actionable, you know, that's action of, of boycotting or protesting races that are that where, where we don't feel support. Um, and so, again, every athlete has to decide where they feel, you know, how they feel about that. And I haven't figured out how I'm feeling, but that's, that's one thing for sure. And then I think we just need to continue to talk amongst the athletes and, and try and think to Alicia's point of what, what things are actionable beyond boycotting a race or talking about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's tricky. I think there's the, the reason the diamond league has so much power is because it is, the best tracks, the best fans, the best competition, the best prize money, and the best appearance fees. And so it's in the best travel funding, the best meals, the best hotels. So it it is just hard to match that. And it's hard to to fill that void. And so um, I think it's something that athletes, we need to continue to talk about um, if we want to try and fill that void or if we want to try and, you know, protest or boycott enough to where that opportunity is open to us again. So I don't quite have an answer for that, Alicia. I think we still need to figure that
2: out. For sure. And there is the uh, annual meeting that comes up every single year. This year it's in December um, in Reno. And I think that it is a very hard uh, meeting to go to um, years in and years out. But if any year for athletes to go to it, this is probably a good year um, to just yeah. get your voice heard and, and come together and figure out what changes could be. Obviously people have different training schedules in terms of training camps and altitude and things like that, but
3: yeah, I'll be you in Reno.
2: There, yeah. Yep.
3: Yep. I'm I got my tickets booked, so I'll be there. And I feel like we have a lot of, a lot of athletes that care and that want to talk about it.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Emma. I think, um, another thing is like, what can fans do You know, what is, is there something that we can put together where fans can petition and help, you know, make our voices larger? Is there something that you think, um, our fans can do, our listeners can do, um, to kind of help in this fight?
3: Well, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I've just had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of DMS of people saying this sucks. Like, what can we do? And I don't have that answer. And other than, you know, just tweeting at them or something, Mm um, at I- Um, <laughs> no, um, I I do think that's something that we should discuss. Of you know, amongst the athletes, of how can our fans that are outraged get involved and and make our voices fee- be even louder. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I think that's something that we should talk about in Reno for sure. And the nice thing is that I feel like we have such a spectrum of athletes that have experience and are still competing or, 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 um, recently retired or are coaching also, or, you know, super experienced in the diamond league, whatever it is, we have a lot of different types of athletes and, um, I think can have some creative thoughts (laughs) together. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I think we'll have a little bit more answers on how we can be proactive with this and and the feeling right now is just annoyance and frustration and um a little bit of like bitterness but I Mm -hmm. think you know after the annual meeting I think hopefully there's there's a more positive um forward momentum that comes out of it
2: oh thank Mm -hmm. you so much Emma I think you know just for our audience just to recognize you know there is a lot of action that we do need in regard to the IAAF fighting for clean sport now fighting for athletes' rights to earn a living. I think, you know, we, some of us that have been at the top tier and haven't been invited to these, these IWF meets have, have been very lucky, but there have been issues um, amongst other athletes who are just outside of that range of being invited to these very few meets. So now that we see this being a bigger issue, I really do hope that, you know, collective voices can make change, not just for, you know, the best of the best that have an opportunity to keep touching within those top you know, three people that do get invited to to the Diamond League within you know individual countries for the nine lanes and you know steeplechase, however many spots that you guys get in in the distance mm-hmm. races. But um, you know, if there's more that can be done, where you know we can allow more opportunities for athletes, you know, burgeoning athletes to have an opportunity for to even you know even scratch the surface of of being able to compete in top tier competition that the Diamond League has created. I think. You know, we this is the time to hear everybody's thoughts and ideas and to just really make sure that we get behind and support all of the athletes that are um, hoping to compete in in these meets that are will help them earn a living and continue their careers as they hope to climb towards success
1: yeah and and to all the young athletes who are trying to watch it and you know see themselves in the likes of you emma and you know that they you know seeing you believing that they could also do that you know you're removing your you physically from that broadcast or you know from these meets you know you're taking that out and you're jeopardizing like the future of like the steeplechase and other events that people don't see so they don't have the aspiration to be there and could potentially be that too
3: well, thanks for the time and thanks for chatting for a second time. What a pleasure! <laughs> thank you, Emma. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, thanks so much, you. Emma. We're so yeah, excited
1: about your interview that's going to show come up after this. So, thank you so much, <laughs> we'll yeah, have it no, nice Stay tuned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
0: All right, all right. Thanks, thank bye. you. Bye. Hi, Emma.
2: <laughs> Emma, how are you? So, Emma, you've had a pretty eventful. Um, this like whole last year has been pretty eventful. Obviously, your career has been eventful in itself, but let's talk a little bit about um, what you've just come back from in terms of Doha, the world silver medal, a PR of 902. Like, you know, how's your experience been just coming off off of that season? Yeah, the
3: uh, season went really well. I did great in Doha. I, I finished in second and only finished behind the world record holder Beatrice Chipkowicz and going into the race, I, I basically knew there, it was going to be really hard to beat her that she would have to have a really bad day. And I would have to get a little lucky to beat her. And, um, the race played out exactly as I thought she went really hard from the gun and I just stayed patient and put my ego aside and just ran to be on the podium. And, felt great and ended up in silver and ran 902 um which was a little bit of a pr and then yeah that feels so long ago because it was i think it was about a month ago now um yeah and or maybe yeah it was about a month ago and it feels like uh, i've just been like vacationing and hanging out and all my breaks since then so it just feels like so long ago that that happened but it was a it was a really wonderful way to end the season and i don't know if molly agrees with this but Ending like I guess Molly kept racing, but mm-hmm. ending the season at Worlds was really nice and just felt like the perfect way to end a big year. Um, was just to kind of chill in Doha for a couple of days after the race and watch my teammates race, and then come home and relax.
0: Yeah, because usually yeah. we have some Diamond League races after Worlds, so it used to be the season wasn't over at Worlds. And this year they changed it around. So that was kind of like the big finale of the year for all the track runners. So yeah, that was cool. Um, And everything was later too. So everyone was ready for a break this year. Seems like.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone, we've known the calendar for so long that everyone just planned their season accordingly. So I didn't feel like burnt out or ready to be done necessarily in Doha, but it was fun to not have to emotionally rally, Mm -hmm. um, and go to the diamond leagues. Um, I've never really raced that great after a global championship. I think I've just spent all my emotional energy, um, at, at that meet. And so it was fun to just, yeah, go home and, and chill, but I felt like physically, you know, healthy and ready for more and, and wanting to continue, but, um, gearing up for the 2020 season, it's just a short calendar this year. The Olympic trials are, And, uh, you know, I don't know, they're in
2: June. And so we
3: don't have that many months left. So I had to kind of start getting ready for
2: that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys have such a tight knit team. I mean, you know, going to a world championship, spending all of your time together, obviously through training helps you guys get through it. But when you, um, head towards your off season, do you guys end up spending a lot of time together or do you find yourself kind of splitting off?
3: We, um, we spend still a lot of time together. We, we all kind of did our own thing for a couple weeks, visiting family. And, um, you know, most of the girls I train with, they're not from Colorado. And so they're all kind of going home and visiting family or visiting friends. And so we all kind of separated, but yeah, we, we love spending time together all the time and have, you know, we spent 20, or I guess sleeping, we were separate, but we spent 18 hours a day together for the six weeks leading up to the world championships when we were in, um, when we were in Emirates training. And so, uh, we still didn't get sick of each other. So we really get along and make each other laugh and we have a lot of, we have a lot of fun. So, um, next week we'll, we will all start gathering for practice and seeing each other uh, you know, again on a daily basis. And I love that routine. I love the girls I train with and yeah, we, we work really hard, but we laugh a lot. So
2: they're awesome. That's incredible. So, so just to kind of give a quick gist of just understanding your season breakdown is about how many months of training, if you can kind of run us through that, um, what's your break time like? And then you said you guys usually do like a little camp. How long is that typically that you guys spend at camp together?
3: Yeah, this year, um, You know, in general, we spend probably 50 weeks a year training. Um, and at the end of a season, usually have a couple weeks of just light training. So this, this year, um, I did, I kind of kept running lightly when I was in Doha. And then I knew I was going to Mexico where I wouldn't run for a whole week. So, um, kind of took my days off running then. And, So I've just been spending the last four weeks since my race, just really lightly kind of running when I feel like it. And so we, we train hard for probably 46 weeks a year, um, and then Mm -hmm. have about six weeks where we're, uh, lightly training, but probably only two weeks of those are, are no running days. Um, and then, and then we kind of just start building back up. Um, you know, we'll start meeting in November and then, um, you know, running seven days a week, running doubles, lifting weights three times a week, all of that. And then, usually in the spring, um, I'm from Crested Butte, which is a little mountain town in Colorado, and it's really great for training. And um, so, usually, we'll spend about a month up there in the spring together at training camp. And then, again, if we need to base in Europe for a race, we'll do that too. But every year is a little bit different, but I would say we spend, you know, at least four to six weeks at like an altitude training camp together but we spend so much time together in boulder on a daily basis in our regular running life that the training camp doesn't really feel that much different um in terms of our our training and our day-to-day routines in our life um yeah we we run together six days a week at least in boulder anyway
1: and just on think, the, and just yeah. on that emma and um, that seems like you know you guys are so close and i've I've never really seen a women's group to be that close and <laughs> spend so much time together even the best teams like if, you know when I've been on teams of people I've really loved and enjoyed I've still wanted to be able to like close the door and like take my own space um Does that ever like crap up where there's different personality clashes or the dynamic like how do you guys have such a good kind of vibe going there is did you guys select people based on that or um, you yeah. know, How does that? How, how do you get so lucky with such a good mesh?
3: You know, there's definitely a mix of personalities, and and we're all so different, and we all fuel differently in terms of what what people or um, situations fuel us and make us feel happy. And so there's a whole spectrum. You know, we have some people on the team that really like to just recharge at home alone, and um, and meet up for a run, but then, you know, they might want to just rest at home alone. And then we have other people on the team that want to, you know, come and, and watch TV together all day long. If that, you know, they, they don't like being alone. And I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Um, and I think it's just respecting each other and knowing that, um, you know, everyone, everyone has different skills and training. Everyone has different personalities and really learning how to embrace those differences and kind of, um, bring all of those, bring all of those different personalities together. Um, and, and we, we're really close friends and we all get along very well. Um, and I think to your point, when you said, you know, did you select people that way? We, we really did. Joe and I, Joe, my husband started coaching me at the end of 2016 and we really didn't intend to have a big female training group. He was just going to coach me for, uh, a year, he just said, "Okay, let's get through this year and see what happens. And if you hate it, we'll go. You know, you'll go do something else." But I wanted to stay living in Boulder and um didn't want to make any huge change in terms of where I was living. So and, and, and you won the world championships, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first year worked out. I
2: think so. I'd say, I'd say it's not bad.
3: <laughs> but just like a month into Joe coaching me we got a call from Aisha Lear that she was, you know, looking for a change and she just, you know, took a huge chance and moved to Colorado. And, um, and the training that she and I were able to do together and her really bubbly, wonderful, warm personality, um, the, the relationship that we had and the success that the two of us had, um, you know, she won the Commonwealth gold medal. She got six at indoor worlds in the 1500. Um, she and i both had a lot of success together and so through that experience we really you know craved more women around us to grow that and it kind of just happened organically but the people that we did add were people that she and i were either already friends with or you know an athlete that i didn't have a pre-existing friendship with you know Kayla Edwards who is younger than me and an 800 runner but she was an athlete that Joe saw you know, such a physical difference in of, wow, I know how to coach a steeplechaser, but can I coach an 800 runner? It's so different. Um, and so some of it was based on previous friendships and meshing those personalities, knowing that we really respected that athlete and wanted to spend more time with them and knew they were positive. And other times it was that, um, you know, just from an X's and O's of, of training, Joe was curious on how he could grow as a coach and add them. And, but it was all, it was all very thoughtful. And, we're, we're lucky that everyone has, um, you know, everyone has meshed really well, but it's definitely not, um, it was certainly intentional. I guess I should say that, uh, you know, we're surrounded with really happy, positive people in our group and it definitely makes going to practice really fun. And, you know, there's never been fights amongst the team. There's never been drama. There's never been, um, you know, bitchiness or bitterness or anything like that. I think, We all know that we make each other better and, uh, it's, yeah, it's really fun to go to practice.
2: I think we're so fascinated by it because I think I I, like, I've talked to you about this before. It's a, it's something that many of us crave, you know, um, being a professional athlete is tough. Uh, the schedule is tough. The, you talked about how you trained forty-six weeks out of the entire year, fifty-two weeks in a year, um, and going on the road and doing all that can get really lonely. Like, I kind of—do you ever wonder, you know, if uh, you should never called, like, what your next step would steps would have looked like, you know, in those upcoming years if you were never to have it kind of fall in place where you had teammates or you thought that oh my gosh we can kind of actually create a group here this is working out for us
3: yeah i think it would have it would have been interesting because joe and i have a really good relationship but it definitely helps at practice when there's other athletes there um you know i think it makes our dynamic as athlete and coach super easy and super seamless when there's a team there and i am the athlete and he is the coach and um and so I think just from a, a personal side in my life, like the dynamic between Joe and I, I think was really made stronger because of Aisha's presence. And then just from, you know, growing a team of female athletes, had Aisha not called, I don't think we would have made active pursuits to to do that. And so, um, again, she called and it we just clicked right away. And she and I had been you know, friends on the circuit prior to that, but, um, we clicked right away in training and made each other better. And, um, anyone that knows Aisha knows that she's just such a happy, supportive, loving, um, person who's a really, really fierce athlete and a tough athlete. And so, um, yeah, her walking into our life really sparked the growth of what, what our group is now, and then what what we're craving in in women that we choose to bring in um, in models, terms of that
1: personality. Yeah, she really models something for you guys, they you're like, "That's we want more of and that." That's a
0: good point. Like you, I don't know if you guys have discussions about like the culture of your team as far as like being selfless teammates. Because um, you are like Emma. I noticed you paced a 5K. Earlier in the season for Aisha, 4K of a 5K, which um, might not have fit into everyone's season, but you guys do those kinds of things for each other as teammates, as well as what you do in practice. Like, is that just modeled by example, um, or do you guys talk about that as like a, a team culture?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. We don't talk about it, I think, um, or I guess I should say, we've never talked and said, like, our team culture is this. This is our mission statement. You know, we don't have that. But we definitely have, um, as corny as it is, like a vibe, and um, and we choose to work really, really hard, as, as all athletes at this level do. But um, in that work, we know that we're made better with each other, and that kind of what goes around comes around, and that I know when I pace Aisha in a 4K, Corey paced the first K of that, and then I paced, you know, I continued on for 4K, and... I know that one selfishly, that's a really good workout for me. It's going to make me a better athlete, but then also I know that it's going to come around because it's going to make Aisha a better athlete who then in turn in practice is going to be able to push me and, and make me a better athlete in practice. And so it's, it's um, if you can kind of get a more of a bird's eye view on your season and your career, um, you end up doing a lot more uh, seemingly selfless things but mm-hmm. it actually is truly just it is for it is for my benefit and for me to become a better athlete. But I think so often athletes and and sometimes women outside of sport as well just get so hyper focused on the the day's result or the now and it can become a hyper competitive um, negative environment. And ours is just a much more broad view of it. And A lot of that is because Joe has a very, um, relaxed demeanor and he's very level headed. And I obviously think he's very very smart and is a great coach, but he, um, he, he's no, no BS. He doesn't like, he doesn't, um, indulge the drama. If you're kind of, if you're in a workout and you're whining about something, he's not going to care. Like, as in like, he's not going to let you quit or he's not going to like indulge that behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we just like put our head down and we work hard. And so a lot of those um, special moments that happen between teammates, whether it's helping each other, you know, pacing a race or um, working in a race together or helping each other in a hard workout, that's just kind of par for the course of, of like, let's get better together. And it's no BS. And we're not going to we're not going to get bogged down in the details so let's just get better together
1: yeah it sounds like you like you benefit from their success as well like that's enjoying enjoyment for you and that's just feeding your enthusiasm and your joy of the sport as well and just a question on your husband there and um, Emma um and he's like groundedness is he always like that is he super chill in general yeah.
3: he's a very yeah he's a he's a very chill guy he's um He's, once you get to know him, he can be very silly and goofy and, um, and loud, but in general, he's, he's pretty reserved and, um, he's always just been so, uh, hyper focused and disciplined. Um, and that was something that I immediately admired in him. Even back when we were just friends in high school, um, I just saw his work ethic and his standards were just so high. And, and I think I always admired that he, it takes a lot to impress him, but it also takes a lot to rattle him and and piss him off and make him sad. And so he, he keeps that in, in every aspect of our life. Um, but I'm glad that he can carry it through to coaching because I think it'd be easy to get more hot and cold and emotional in coaching, but um yeah, his whole life, he's just been really even-tempered, but hyper-focused, really disciplined, and really hardworking. Yes. And so it, it makes him a good coach.
1: Yeah, it sounds like he has like ambition, but he's able to stay grounded at the same time. And the commentators um, for your World Championship final, when you were lined up, they had like a little blurb that they said about your husband they said that um oh emma's husband says to her oh it's just running babe or something like that yeah can you talk to that because i just thought that was so funny because you know here you are at the world championships and so many people would get caught up in that like this is the world championships like very heightened and stressed and tense um and to just say oh it's just running babe it's just like so calming and so chilling so just wondering is that a true is it true yeah It's
3: true. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. He, um, yeah, he says to me, it's just running, babe. And he, he says it, I mean, he says it to the girls too, of like, it's just running. Um, because I do think we can get so in our own heads about it. And what we need to realize as athletes competing is that like, this is a gift that we're able to be healthy on on the starting line. And we put all this work in and we are working for this moment. And so if you're going to be anxious and stressed and miserable, in this like then what's it all for? It's mm-hmm. just running. If you fail, if you fail, the sun comes up tomorrow and you move on with your life. Mm-hmm. It's or you move on with your day, whatever it is. Like there's I've had I've had terrible races and I've had injuries and I've had setbacks as as everyone else has as well. Um and it's just so important to remember like this is just running. It's a wonderful job. I love it so much. I'm so glad I get to do it, but like this should bring me happiness and if it is making me you know miserable and anxious and I'm if I'm blowing this up to be b- bigger than um a sport and making it my whole value as a human then like that's silly and that it it is just running so just enjoy it and I think there's a lot I've been lucky to really not have um you know I was a nervous wreck in high school I was super I had a ton of anxiety with racing and would cry on the starting line and you know, Mm -hmm. drop out of races, all of that. And then I started dating Joe my senior year of high school. And, um, he kind of had this attitude even back then. And I dropped out of race and he was like, why did you do that? And I was like, huh, that's a good question. Why did I do that? You know, instead of, you know, your, your parents love you so much or your coaches worried about you, there's people in your corner that support you and love you, but they might not Confront you with like, well, why did you do that? Like truly, what was the purpose? Um, and so he asked me that. And I was like, huh, yeah, that was pretty lame. Why did I do that? Okay, I shouldn't do that again. And just just simple little things like that. Um, but he he kind of has emotionally been coaching me to have this calm confidence in in race settings, even back in high school before, you know through college and my early professional years before he was my coach. Um, he was always there in my corner saying, you know, it's just running baby to me. And, um, it's, it definitely makes me a calm, confident athlete. And I, I get nervous of course, but, um, it definitely makes me a happy athlete.
2: And you, you talked a lot about, you know, you talked about, you have setbacks, you've had injuries, but you are you seem to have been, and tell me if there's a season I'm missing, healthy when it counts. Is there any tips that you can give, like, our young athletes, myself, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, our athletes that are competing right now, just, like, any tips on how to have a consistent season, recognize there are going to be setbacks, so there's going to be injuries, keep a level head during those times and to, so that we can show up when it matters? Yeah, the
3: the one one year that I missed was I raced NCAAs in 2018 with a stretcher in my back and my And then so I was hurt for championships uh, for the Moscow team. So that was the one I didn't um, show up when it mattered. Um, I won NCAAs, but I didn't get to compete at USAs. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's so funny. I just did my um, – the U.S. Olympic Training Center – I had a postseason physical, and you go through and you say, What have all your injuries been? And um, you know, they measure your mobility and strength and all this stuff. It's great. But you go through and you talk about, wow, 2012 I had this, 2013 I had this, and every year I've had an injury. And the the difference is is the scale and magnitude of that injury. Um, you know, some years it's it's as it was in 2013, where I have to miss a lot, or some years it's like in 2016, I had a Achilles tendonitis in my whole lead up to the Olympics. Um, and you just have to manage that and find a way to like try and, and find joy in training and not be stressed every day about a nagging injury. Um, and I, so I've covered the spectrum of, of severity of injuries and lengths of injuries, but I think, um, for me, it's, it's being really disciplined with, Knowing my body, taking care of it on the on the small, doing all the small things right, getting a lot of sleep is important. Um, I don't know if Molly remembers this, but me and you and Molly were all sweet mates in 2011. Alicia, Molly, and I were sweet mates in 2011 at the World Championships, and Molly and I were roommates. And I remember she had like bands and balls and. Ropes. And I was a sophomore <laughs> in college. And so when you're 20 years old, you're just like gumby and nothing ever hurts. And you're just like, oh, this Emma is had chocolate so and
2: keep and reality TV. <laughs> yeah.
3: I was just chilling. And meanwhile, I'm I'm roommates with Molly who is like taking care of her body so much. And I remember thinking like, wow, she does so many like like things to take care of herself. That's so weird. Like, why would she do that? And then like two years later, I'm like, give me the bands, give me the balls, (laughs) give me the foam rollers, like all this stuff. Um, but I learned from that, that like, you know, Molly has had one of the most, um, consistent careers in, you know, us distance running. And and it's because she takes care of her body really well and, and manages the little things. And you really just have to give the time to that. Um, and sleep, sleep is huge. I think the other thing is the weight room. I spent a lot of time in the weight room and I think that's been really good for my injury prevention. Um, but it's just good to know everyone goes through injury. And if you're looking at a starting line at the Olympics, you can guarantee every single person in the last 12 months has had something that made them cry and made them stressed and made them doubt their abilities and that it's just part of the sport. And you have to know that and not let it flip you out when it happens mm-hmm. to you.
0: Yeah, that's a mm. that's good perspective to have. It's, it's probably true of a lot of starting lines at a lot of levels. Um, Emma, I feel like, um, I mean, I do know you from seeing you at races and and briefly from being a roommate, but I feel like I know you really well from your social media. Um, I am interested. You're the queen on social media. You have almost 300,000 followers. You have some amazing photos. Um, how do you manage your social media life? Because I personally find it, um, kind of stressful on my end as far as not just like like sometimes you browse accounts that like just kind of like, I don't know, it, it, social media can have that anxiety inducing effect on me, both what I put up and what I read. And I know other people have said that, but it's such an important part of our like sports marketing, like puzzle piece, you know, obviously performance mm-hmm. is a hundred percent, but that is part of it. And you do such a good job with it. Like, I'm curious to know, do you, do you manage it? Does someone else do it? Do you have time limits? Like how, what are your thoughts on it? Cause it is kind of one of those plus minus things in our lives.
3: Yeah, I, I do it myself. Um, Joe often is taking my picture or whoever, whichever girl is doing a different workout that day, you know, we'll all snap pictures of each other. But um, I do it myself. But I, I think a lot of it, it's, it's funny, there's different personalities with if it makes you stressed and gives you anxiety about it and if it doesn't. And I think I just happen to be on the spectrum to where it doesn't stress me out um, to where like, I literally am like, Oh, I should post a picture. And then I post it and then I don't think about it. Um, and I, I'm not scouring my camera all being like, stressing out about like, Oh God, I need a picture. What about this one? What about this one? It's, it's, um, you know, it's all pretty quick work. And so I think, um, for me, it just, I think part of it is that I just am a confident person. And so it doesn't, uh, if someone doesn't like what I put out there, I honestly am like, well, that's their problem. Like, <laughs> I just, I just, I, I like what I put out. And so, um, and even before social media was like part of our money making abilities as athletes, like, you know, back even just when I was in college, I still had an active, you know, social media and, um, just kind of, you know, like sharing what I was doing. And so
2: I totally I think remember life, that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think I was looking back actually, like one of my first Instagrams, I think was in debut in 2011. Of like, or no, yeah, it was right around, I was like out of track, me. And most of my world and most of my Instagram is about track because that's what I love. Um, but yeah, it doesn't stress me out in terms of like what I'm putting out there. And then in terms of absorbing content, I can totally understand why people would find social media. A stressful anxiety ridden space to where you just go on it and you get sad. Um, most of the content that I'm absorbing is like people decorating cakes or people making macaroons or, um, like what my runner friends are up to. So, or like, Decor. Like, if I'm looking at my phone, there's an 80% chance I'm watching someone decorate a cake.
0: So it's like. So you've curated uh, what you want. Yeah. Learned. Yeah. You control it seems how like your goes theme, into your brain.
2: Yeah. It seems like yes. your theme and like everything that you're doing is basically surrounding yourself with positivity and goodness and things that are going to ultimately make you feel good. You're, yeah. Totally right. I
3: definitely, I try and surround myself with good training partners and my family and friends that I surround myself with are all, you know, super positive, super happy. They bring me joy. And as you guys know, to be a good athlete, you have to be a happy athlete and eliminating stress, um, maximizing joy. However you do that and everyone's recipe is different. Um, and the way I find joy is going to be different than the next person. But you know, a lot of my joy comes from like hanging out with my sister and watching trash TV shows and that would make a lot of people upset, but
2: it makes me really happy. So yeah,
3: <laughs> so yeah, got maximize like, your joy.
2: Yeah, so that's like a good space and balance. And I think uh, one place I'm one of my my notorious zones is to uh, little nitty gritty zones. I like to I like to get into. So I'm curious about you know your zone of balance when it talk when we talk about athletes, we talk about being adults, we talk about having a good time, we talk about things like you know being able to have a stay up a little bit later, have some drinks um, Eat a little bit of junk food. Like, what are like, you know, are those things that you also enjoy doing with your friends? I mean, I think that you're very open on your social media. You like your course uh, shotgun. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> and I love that that openness of just like you know, because I think people think that athletes are literally just like, you know, we sit there and count like how many almonds we're gonna eat and how many glasses of water. And I really think that that balance is very very healthy to see. Um, but do you, it seems like you don't feel any space and judgment about that. And, you know, I just kind of want to know, like, how you, how you, I don't know how you do your fun thing, girl. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, yeah, I've always had a really good relationship with food. I, and so part of that continues into my kind of off season where I've already had two boxes of Fruity Pebbles, you know, in the last month, like junk food cereal I had like, three macaroons after I had my eggs this morning. Um, so my off-season, I, like, just go crazy on having, you know, cookies for breakfast. And it's not even necessarily that I'm craving it, but it's just like, nah, why not? Um, and and the same goes for, you know, drinking. It's like I, I enjoy a margarita or a Coors Light or um, a glass of wine. And I know that – <laughs> you know, <laughs> hashtag ad, no, um, Colorado girl, we, we love our Coors life. Um, no, yeah. but I, I think there's a time and a place and yeah. I think, um, you know, Molly is always posting her donuts. And I think that's so awesome because I think there's a message that, um, or there's a theme that, that athletes sometimes put out there of like, needing to like treat yourself like this is a treat. And this is a, like, this is like, I-, I love doing the treat yourself from parks and rec. So I'm not saying that. Um, I do that all the time. Cause I think it's really funny from parks and rec, but I mean, in terms of being like, this is a bad food and this is a good food mm-hmm. and clean eating and all this. And I just think there's yeah. sometimes so much, um, pressure put on food and drinks and hydrating and all of this stuff that it, um, as, as public figures, we kind of have the power to like put that out there or not. And you can say like, like, yeah, I'm having a salad. It's delicious. I love these vegetables. And that's cool. Or you can be like, I'm having a salad because I need to lose two pounds before worlds. And that's this, you know, I just think Mm -hmm. there's different messaging that can be connected with food. Um, and, I think, you know, Molly, for example, does a great job of being like, it's a donut and it's delicious and I am going to eat it because I like it and I ran hard. (laughs) Definitely had one for breakfast today. (laughs) (laughs) But, but anyway, yeah, there's, there's a time and a place. Like I'm not going to shotgun a Coors Light, um, in the weeks leading up to the world championships. I know things that make my body recover well. I know what make my body perform at its peak and at its best. And that's, that's not necessarily a bunch of cookies and margaritas um, but I think it's great. You know, there's different times a year to really, uh, do whatever you want. And, uh, there's other times a year that you really have to treat your body very, very kindly. And for me, when I have to treat my body very kindly, I will eat less cookies, um, and I will have less wine. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a weight thing necessarily. It's more of just like, I know what I need to do to make my body ready
2: to race um, right. But yeah, it's not like a never parts. ever. It's just less.
1: Yeah. 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 I think you're doing a really great job there. Mm-hmm. It seems like you're modeling, you know, a healthy attitude towards food and body image and and diet and nutrition and all that. I'm wondering because um, people are looking at you. If you've got 3000 followers, 200,000 followers, young, young athletes are looking to you. I'm wondering, do you feel that? Like, do you feel that you're a role model or yeah. Does does that feel like something you are intention like intentionally doing or are you just like, oh, they happen to follow me? <laughs> like
3: I, I think yeah, I think that there's a mix. I think um I know that there's you just look in your, your direct messages and you get message after message of of a young high school runner struggling with their body image and their eating. And I'd reply to those when I can, um, and to just say like you know, eat, 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 like all, literally all spring, Joe was like, everyone, you need to weigh five pounds more than you usually do because it's a long season. So like keep those five pounds, you know, like there, mm. there's, there's a training benefit of, of not being stick skinny. Um, and, but also like some people naturally are stick skinny. So on the opposite side, like don't shame that. Yeah. Um, right. but the point is like, I, I don't necessarily think I'm a role model. I think people follow me and root for me in races and that's really awesome. But I, and I love that so much and I don't wake up every day thinking like, how can I influence the world to make Mm -hmm. good choices today? Mm -hmm. But I think I just am who I am. And I try to, um, not put anything out there that can be damaging to some, you know, Mm -hmm. a young girl, especially, um, because I am aware that people are paying attention, but it's not necessarily my guiding light every day of thinking like, how can I be a good role model today? Just trying to be
1: myself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they are asking you questions. And I was just wondering, do you have role models? Like, did you have role models grown up or who would you look to as a role model or to kind of help you you achieve this kind of sweet balance you've got?
3: (laughs) I, the women in my life that I've, always just wanted to be like, or my mom and my sister. And they're just both very smart, very funny, very confident, um, very, uh, productive and just warm and wonderful. And I, I I wish I had more, um, words to describe how great they are, but they are my favorite women in the world. And so literally from when I was like, like five years old, people asked asked what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, My mom, you know, like I just wanted to be her and that, that still rings true. Um, but within the sport, um, don't get embarrassed girls, but, um, I have been really lucky to have like positive female role models that kind of have not only helped me directly, um, but have been a model of like, Oh, that's how you can be a great athlete. And, um, for Alicia and Molly, both of them were role models to me without maybe even realizing it. But I always observed Molly just on social media and she would always be so kind. And like, you know, she'd favorite stuff and reply to stuff. And I was like, like 10 years ago, or I don't even know how many years ago, but like literally never, not not 10 years ago, maybe six years ago, but like never met her, didn't know her, but she was just so nice, not just to me, but to other women in the sport and really, um, a model of like, this is what it's like to su- support other women in a public platform. Um, cause I'd never really seen that as much. And then, oh, and Molly still does that. She's still just like, you know, social media and she's like that in person too. It's, it, but yeah. now I know her in person. She's, that's just true to who she is um but that was really cool to see that like oh wow Molly favorited my my tweet oh my gosh that's so cool wow she's awesome she, i should favorite another girl's tweet you know just just it, it seeps in your mind of like just a simple way to show your support of another a female athlete and maybe a competitor but you're still um supporting them and then Alicia i reached out to when i was graduating college to give me a lot of advice on navigating you know, agents, shoe companies, professional life, what what mistakes she made that she didn't want me to make, what great things she did that she recommend I do. you know, so that was really cool to have maybe a twenty one year old girl that had met her once to call and be like, "Hey, talk on the phone for an hour and tell me all your <laughs> highs and lows that you've ever done and guide yeah. me. And that was really generous of her to give me that time and that that insight. Um, and then, Kara Goucher was a really big, um, she's one of my closest friends and she was a big role model of mine when I was little and then, or not little, but coming up in the sport. And then we trained together for um, four years and she is just as perfect and wonderful as she seems on social media. She's 10 times better even in person, just so warm, so positive, really truly supportive um, of other women and other athletes. and And she brings you up when you don't, necessarily believe in yourself, she finds a way to believe in you. Um, and so I would say the three of, you know, Molly and Molly, Alicia and Kara were were athletes in the sport that were really huge with, um, you know, being people that I admired.
0: Oh, that's so nice. I think you are definitely doing that. It's amazing. And I'm, I'm sure you're doing that for the women, not only in your group, but all the, um, young athletes that look up to you. Um, yeah. I mean,
2: you're doing it for me too. So it's, it is cyclical and I appreciate that.
0: I'm inspired by looking at the things you've done in your career up to this point. So yeah, we're, we're fueling each other's fires here. Um, (laughs) but I also wanted to ask you about, um, speaking of being a kind person, I know you have a fundraiser road race. We've talked about this, that we have in common and you have some other projects going on with your, um, Emma Coburn and stretching bands and I know you have some other stuff on the side how do you manage all of that with your running and like what just what do you want to talk about as far as your non-running projects or things that kind of keep you excited outside of the sport what I want to plug <laughs> um no um,
3: yeah so drop cool. it right here so, um <laughs> the the greatest thing is um Emma Coburn's Elk Run 5k which yeah Molly and I have talked a lot about but um it's a it's a 5k that benefits a local cancer charity. And the charity is a um, cancer support group where they'll pay medical bills and give counseling to people who have cancer. And it's such a small town and small community that's everyone in the town has been affected by this charity one way or another. And so it's just really, um, it's the heart of my hometown and is a really wonderful group that really brings people together. And so I, I, if if you spend ten minutes in a room with me, I will talk about Crested Butte because it just like is the most important thing in my life, and I just love where I grew up so much. And so,
1: Do you, was your family? Just, is your family from there? It's like how did you guys end up on that? My moment? my
3: family's from Boulder, but we moved to Crested Butte. My parents moved there twenty years ago, just for a year for like see, trying it out, and then they never left. But it's just it's a really special place where kids just get to run around and climb mountains and go ski and it really I think just from an athletic standpoint develop me into a, a good athlete but it also just a really warm community and a beautiful beautiful place and so Joe suggested um that we to a race there to kind of you know give back to the town because they've given me so much and so we started this 5k in 2017 and I've done 3 years now. This year we had to be virtual because I was in Switzerland training, but we ended up raising a lot of money with the virtual race. And so that was that was cool to see people all over the world like getting their elk run gear. Um and so yeah, we've given $90,000 to this charity and have had really fun races in Crested Butte and it's just something that we're we're super proud of and it is it is a lot of work, but only only really like sporadically throughout the year, you know, as you're getting things done. It's not something that I have to be busy with every day. Um, Do you have a lot then, of help
0: from, like, family members and locals there? Or um, how does that work? Your, what's your team? Yeah
3: in, the, yeah, in the moment, we definitely rely, like, on race day and the day before. We rely on, you know, the the high school cross-country team and my parents and my siblings to, like, help us stuff the race bags and all of that. Um And it is definitely a big group effort to make all the logistics of race day happen, you know, setting up the fences and the bibs and I don't need to go through all the things that happen in a race, but setting all of it up, um, and managing a thousand people that takes a lot of work. And it definitely is great to have a close family and friends and, um, community there that help and a lot of volunteers, so that's that's super cool. Um, and if anyone wants to race it, it's gonna be September twenty sixth next year in Crested Butte. And then we'll also do the virtual race. Crested Butte in the fall is just epic. It's a lot of you know aspen leaves that are changing colors and it the race is at 9,000 feet, so it is a little bit of a challenge, but it is a really cool it's a really cool event. So that's one thing that that you know, that's the thing outside of running that I'm you know most proud of. But then We also, after, you know, 2011, seeing Molly use exercise, mini resistance bands and and lacrosse balls and all of that, um, I started using a lot of that in my rehab and pre-run drills. And so we now sell, um, mini resistance bands and then we're selling like bigger, we call them power bands. Um, but I use those every day for just, you know, hip strengthening drills and, um, and pre-run activation and, um, and some little lacrosse balls too, we sell. So that's a side gig that doesn't really take up much time. I do some shipping, you know, but it's not, that doesn't take up a lot of time, but it's fun. And I use the product. So it's, it's cool to have, you know, give people a shot to use the same thing I use. Um, but yeah, both, both endeavors take up some time, but never take away from running (laughs) running's the number one.
2: Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. So it turns out that everything that we see on Emma's social media, everyone is the truth. It's not Instagram versus reality. It's reality versus reality. And I really, (laughs) really, really appreciate that. Um, uh, the purpose of this podcast, though, is to elevate women and to do a better job of telling, you know, untold stories. You know, women's uh, sports are only covered four percent, like four percent of sports coverage, which is insane. So um, we wanted to ask you, like, what part of your story do you feel like um, is untold and you'd like it to be better told?
3: That's a great question. But as you have realized, I'm a blabbermouth and like we will go on and on. And so I feel like I've told all my stories, but um, I mean, I think it's. I think one thing that's really interesting is that sometimes we don't know our stories that haven't been told, you know, because we're not, we're asked the same, maybe 10 questions in a, in an interview or two questions Mm -hmm. post race. exactly. And so, so it's currently, I don't know my stories that need to be told. And, um, and I appreciate that you guys are here trying to, to tell those stories. And I think as you know, as more and more women participate, I think that you're going to uncover some really special stories, but unfortunately I'm just such a blabbermouth that I feel like I've told all my stories yet to tell, <laughs> but I'll let you know if I come up with anything new. Um, yeah, I think, great. yeah, I think as I touched on a little bit with Run, I think the biggest part of my story is, is where yeah. I grew up in the community that, that raised me and, and, and to Alicia's point earlier of surrounding myself with, um, positivity and joy. And it's the women I train with now. It's the women that I, you know, look up to in the sport. It's the, the engagements that I have on social media. It's it's where I grew up. It's all of this is just the, my story is surrounding myself with happiness and joy and eliminating mm-hmm. the stress. And, um, I think that's the secret to success. Really. It's just, it's just, being, finding happiness and surrounding yourself with it. And then the running and the rest will take care of itself. That's so awesome. Oh, that's that's such an
1: amazing message. That's
3: yeah. Sure.
0: Thanks, Emma. Yeah. We think, well, um, thank you for keeping track with us. we think you've been a great guest to have for the example you set, um, lifting women up uh, just Promoting great teamwork, crushing it on the track, doing things for your community. Thanks, Crested Butte, for Emma Coburn. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's time for us to wrap it up because we have a, someone coming in after us. But That's right. <laughs> thanks for giving us your time. Yeah. And, before we go,
2: though, I'd want people to know where we can follow you, yeah, tell us where you're active, us, and then give us your details. We, wa- we want to be able to keep track of Emma Coburn.
3: All right. Thanks. Well, um, my Instagram is Emma Coburn or at Emma Coburn, my Twitter is at Emma J Coburn. Um, and my Facebook is Emma Coburn steeples. Um, and all three have great content. No, but, um, my Instagram is I'm definitely most active on there and my stories I'm fairly active on. And, um, so yeah, follow me there if you don't already. And thanks so much for having me and, uh, I'll see you guys on the track. Yeah. Well, Molly, okay. I'll see you on the track. Thank you
2: guys so much <laughs> to go and follow Emma and all of her social channels and that you consider joining her Elk Run 5K next September 2020. Thank you so much for coming on, Emma. We enjoyed keeping track.
1: Good luck next year. Good luck with the future. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> Bye, Emma.
2: Keep track, keep track. Oh. Keep track. Keep track. One time.
4: Keep, no, keep track, track, King track, track.
0: Shoutouts to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks guys.
4: Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go.